Hi, this is Michael Waits, and welcome back to the Asia Tech Podcast. I want to thank True Digital Park for letting me record here again today. This is a pretty amazing place, actually. True Digital Park is Southeast Asia's largest startup campus right in the heart of Bangkok. It's a pretty incredible facility with everything a startup would need to grow and flourish. Basically, there is a complete startup ecosystem under one roof, including support and services from government agencies like DEPA and the NIA, all the way to funding from some of the most sophisticated investors and venture capitalists in the region like Taurus Ventures, Beacon Ventures, Monks Hill Ventures from Singapore, and Gobi Ventures, among others. You've just got to come to this campus to believe it. It's a pretty cool place. I am joined today by Anna Ratala. Anna is a co-founder of Zvuk, pretty easy to say, and is building an interesting business in the podcast space. Anna, how are you doing? Hi, Michael. Thanks so much for having me and greetings from Singapore and great pronunciation too. <laughs> you like that though, right? I told you it's not that yeah. hard. And if, once <laughs> it becomes <laughs> part of the vernacular, everyone's going to say like, that's the easiest word in the world. People will wonder I what hope... it means, but you'll explain. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. Do you want to give a little bit of background on you just for context? Sure. Yes. So I am actually um, originally from Finland, uh, have lived now in Southeast Asia and Singapore for the past eight years. Um, first moved to to work as so many expats and, and foreigners do found uh, Singapore a very fascinating place in Asia in, in general um, worked for the first three years um, three plus years in sales um, for a SaaS company really enjoyed it and now for the past four plus years I've uh, been an entrepreneur and now very recently actually co-founded Zvuk with, um, with my co-founder Malik uh, to help um, podcasts and and brands find each other. So let's back up a little bit. You said you've been an entrepreneur now for four years. So before you did Zvuk, what were you doing? So I was actually, um, so I founded and, and ran a tech startup event called Slush Singapore. So actually for, for some people, um, Slush might be familiar um, as a big, uh, event in Helsinki in Finland right, right. Um, that was founded there 11 years ago as a very organic grounds up movement of entrepreneurs and doers and people that wanted to get together and say, Hey, nobody wants to be an entrepreneur. This was like 11 years ago, right? Yeah, no, but right. everybody wanted to, you know, go work for Nokia. Nokia. And <laughs> uh, I never, yeah, yeah. Right. And little did they know, but, um, but back then that was a cool thing to do. And, and there was a bunch of entrepreneurs saying, well, this country doesn't really have a future unless we have entrepreneurs and people coming down and, and, and starting businesses. So they started this little get together of a few hundred people, you know, talking about entrepreneurship, technology, drinking some beers, just having a good time. And kind of year after year, this whole community and event grew. And eventually, I mean, now it's a 20,000 person event in Helsinki, you know, there are prominent investors, entrepreneurs from all over the world. There's a chartered flight from Silicon Valley directly to Helsinki at the worst possible time to be in the Nordics, which is in November, at <laughs> the end of November. Like, it's it's really slush. It's wet snow and dark and, and all that. But slush is really an illuminating event and and really, I think, showcases the, the long journey that, um, you know, the startup ecosystem has has done um, I think not just in Finland, but globally over the past 10 years. And so Slush kind of making, making you know, waves in, in the Nordics and in Europe, there started to be a few satellite events in, in Asia. There's one in Tokyo, yep. one in Shanghai. 
and I started with with my team here uh, in Singapore in 2016. Uh, and we started in the very same way. We're obviously a part of this whole global slash family, but essentially we are built by the local ecosystem players, by local young people, students, entrepreneurs, and doers that believe that, you know, if we want to build something for the entrepreneurs, it should be done by the entrepreneurs. If you build something for the community, it should be done by the community and not, you know, by the government or by, you know, commercial organizations. So Slush um, is a nonprofit organization, um, but every every other aspect of that is really like a startup. So I've run, uh, we've done three events here in Singapore, um, about 3,000 attendees um, annually at the event. Um, and yeah, we had a 10-person team, full-time team, and then we worked with 200 volunteers, most of whom were students in Singapore, they're exchange students. We work with 80 community partners, um, from all across the region, yeah, it was a it was a very big, I think, joint effort, and the the kind of feedback that we get about the event very often doesn't even have to do anything with you know the content or the startups or investors or whatnot, but really that feeling of the community coming together and building something from the ground up. The energy is really electrifying, and that's something that I think I'm the most proud of. <laughs> yeah, it's actually kind of cool, right? So I'd heard of Slush, obviously, but. By the time someone like I am hears about Slush, you know, the sort of core event that takes place in Helsinki, by the time I hear about it, it's so big already that I don't know the origins, right? But now that I know that it started off with a bunch of people going, okay, what are we going to do because there's only Nokia and that could potentially go away. Like you said, who knew, right? I mean, back then Nokia was so big and so powerful and such a big part of sort of the global telecoms business that the thought of it going away was just a non-starter, right? But then there you were a few years later and it was just gone. But I think it's cool that they called it slush and that it started. I had no I didn't know any of that actually. Yeah, and and I think that the whole idea was also to kind of bring a little contrast to, you know, the Silicon Valley sunshine and the American way of doing yeah. things. Everything's so positive and amazing and and you know and 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 sunny and and bright and you know, then you have Finland like close to the arctic circle and like this little country and it's dark and it's really gloomy and literally nobody wants to go to finland in november it's the worst time to travel it's not really winter it's definitely not summer anymore it's like just right. a very boring time and they said well why don't why don't we just create something that's totally very very different and now actually for the past couple of years i think all the hotels during that whole week are fully booked in Helsinki. so pretty insane <laughs> So, uh, but here in Singapore, people were laughing and saying, hey, maybe you should call it sweat here in Singapore. <laughs> or <laughs> mist. Mist, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's a great idea. Yeah. But what, so what's your interest in tech, right? I mean, you said you were working for a SaaS company before. You moved from SaaS into startups. But what is your original interest in tech to begin with? Actually, I had zero interest in tech. Uh, I never, ever in my life thought that I would, like, get into tech. I remember when I was... So I did my master's back in Finland in my home country, uh, in my home city, uh, Lappeenranta, um, uh, in the business school there. And I remember there was this one course that we had, which was called high technology marketing. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, my God, why do I have to take a course like that? I will never work in technology ever. I had zero interest. And it was, a, I think, just a funny coincidence that when, when, you know, when you move to a new country and when I moved to Singapore, I was sending, you know, my resumes everywhere. And literally there was this SaaS company. 
um, who was who was looking for sales consultants and sounded really exciting and the culture sounded really great. And it just happened to be, you know, yeah, it happened to be a technology company. Um, at that point, I, I didn't feel like I, I I could afford being too picky uh, if I wanted to find a job in the new in a new you know country in a new in a new market. So I just took it um, and then kind of got into it and then understood that you know technology is not something super complicated and especially in today's world, everything really is technology. Every startup almost is a tech startup. It's like if you have a website, you have a, an e-commerce platform, you can buy something off your website. Like it's a tech company. Um, so I, I think I started realizing that at that point that, you know what, it's, it's, it's just a tool. Technology is just a tool to get something done, to get something done better, to help people. And that's even now how I see technology. I'm not fascinated by creating. I mean, I'm not a, I'm from a business background. To begin with, I'm not fascinated in creating a new technology. I'm fascinated by using technology to, you know, bring value to, you know, people, to companies, to clients. Um, and that's where I think the, the biggest uh, possibilities really are. Yeah, I agree. And I think that that's, it sounds like you share that philosophy with Antler, which is something else you should probably talk about as well, right? The idea isn't necessarily that the tech is the central part of the thing, but tech is the central part of everything. So if that's the case, then how do you use it to build new and real businesses around it. And I think that's actually the better idea, no? Yeah, I, I absolutely, I agree. And, and I mean, here I've obviously, um, and, you know, happy to talk, happy to talk about, about Android, but like in, in, in the past few months, I've met so many founders through this program that are building really exciting things and everyone is using tech to a certain extent, um, but very few of them are developing anything new, a new technology, but yeah, really just utilizing tech in a very creative innovative ways um so very exciting yeah but haven't we reached that point actually where i wouldn't say there's a bifurcation or a separation between people that actually develop the tech and the businesses that use it but we're at a point now where so many of the tech components themselves i think and you tell me if you think i'm wrong are kind of commoditized in other words you know payments backends data analysis all this stuff is is has been built or is being built by somebody but if you can then figure out an innovative way to use those tools to build an innovative business, now you're doing something that's interesting, I think. Yeah, exactly. And 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 I think, I mean, I think at, at this point, especially if you think about Southeast Asia as a region and the startup ecosystem here, that's exactly what's happening right now. Yeah, there are a lot yeah. of businesses that are, you know, based on, on tech. But now there's obviously this other conversation that has started of saying, well, is it true? Are we truly innovating if we're just using the existing, you know, existing technologies, existing tools, rearranging them slightly? But is that enough? Is that big enough? Sure, you can make money out of that and you can, you know, achieve certain success. But is that enough? Like, are we actually bringing value, uh, you know, to, to the society and to the wealth and to the other people? There's been a lot of conversations. Um, and in Singapore, I know there's a lot of conversations around how do we encourage more deep tech startups to emerge and people to really you know how do we get those people from the research labs to go out there and commercialize whatever they've been working on for the past 10 years right, right. um so that's um something that's that's been you know that's been discussed um uh in in the past yeah and to be fair I, to be fair i don't think that all the innovation in the world is going to keep coming out of the same places i definitely think it rotates right we've seen it move 
from Silicon Valley in some places into China for sure. And I don't think there's any reason why the rest of Asia and Southeast Asia in particular can't start building some of that new technology. So, so we had mentioned earlier about Antler. Do you want to talk a little bit about what that is and how you got involved? So yeah, Antler is actually a very exciting um, program. I think you can call it a startup generator. So, you know, normally when you think about accelerator programs, they're targeting existing startups, early stage startups. But what Antler actually does is they handpick 100 people from all around the world, uh, bring them together and basically help over the period of a few months them to find co-founders. So work with one another on various assignments and hackathons and cases and ideas, find co-founders, find ideas that they're excited about. Um, you know, get help them to get started, validate some of the ideas, help to get that whole process started, and then even invest uh, a small amount in the most promising teams and the most promising startup ideas. And so I have joined the second cohort of Anther Singapore uh, in January, uh, and now we're kind of coming to the end of of uh, of this uh, of this program. So it's been a very exciting. Exciting journey and really exciting to have met actually all these people from all around the world that have all basically said, yes, we want to be entrepreneurs. We want to build startups. You know, many people have resigned from their jobs and quit whatever they were doing, um, come from, you know, all over the world, from the States, from Europe, from Asia to Singapore um, to actually, yeah, try to find the, um, the perfect match, I suppose, and, and start, uh, start their business. But what does that mean? In other words, when you go into a into a um, an organization like Antler, it means that you haven't necessarily come up with an idea yet for a business, but you've decided you want to start something on your own. You want to spend a few months kind of figuring out is probably the wrong way to say it, but just like determining where the best markets are. But also it's a place where you can find a co-founder too. So like what are the criteria for for just selecting people to join that organization? I don't want to obviously speak too much on Anthro's behalf. Yeah, um, I, I, I understand, I understand that. But you know what I mean? Like, like it's just interesting, right? Because in most cases, like an accelerator program or, you know, those types of places, you'll come in with an idea and a co-founder and stuff like that. So this kind of does it not in reverse necessarily, but it's a slightly different model, right? I think it's an exciting model. So basically the whole idea is to, um, you know, and I think what Andrew is looking at is that individuals as talent, Right. Who are the people? What have they done previously? And do they have that particular X factor and sense to potentially, you know, succeed as an entrepreneur? Do they have that entrepreneurial gene in a sense? Because I think there are a lot of people that are, you know, they have, you know, a, a good education. They've had a good track record and businesses. You know, maybe they've been in corporate life. They've been consultants or they've been a part of some smaller businesses. They've done really exciting things or been researchers or whatnot. Um, and maybe they've never really thought about, uh, you know, an opportunity, a, a chance to, you know, or they haven't really thought about the, um, the the possibility of starting their own business. Now there's a program that makes it happen, that kind of gives you a safe place in a sense to come and play around with ideas, with different people, and really figure out is this something for you. And I think that one of the biggest takeaways is that these few months that you spend in the program is a very good example of what entrepreneurial life is like it's hectic it's very intense there are a lot of things that we're doing there's a lot of like especially in the beginning there there are a lot of hackathons there's a lot of kind of program and a lot of situations which are high pressured 
you have a, a, a time pressure, uh, you're working with different people, uh, you're trying to figure things out, there's a competition element, and that's pretty much what entrepreneurial life is like. Basically. So if you, after, yeah, if you're after these few months are completely stressed out and hated the whole experience, you should not start a business because it's gonna be it's gonna be a disaster. But if you, on the other hand, really embrace the experience, said, yeah, this was tough, it was intense, and there were definitely a lot of highs and lows, but I really enjoyed the journey, and you're probably on the right track. And I think it's a, I mean, for a lot of people, it's a very big step to just say, oh, I'm gonna quit, and then just sit by my desk at home and try to figure out what to do, versus joining a group of people that are have, are all on the same um, on the same page and in the same situation and have the same mindset. It really, really helps. Yeah, actually, that's a really good explanation, right? Because it's a cool filtering mechanism. Right? If you can't put up with that intense pressure in a safe place for like three or four months, then you're definitely not cut out to be an entrepreneur. And you have to be kind of proactive inside of that environment to stick out as well. So it's a pretty good filtering mechanism, it sounds like. And I think that when you think about the entrepreneurial life of being a, an entrepreneur, I mean, I think in the recent years, there's been a lot of this hype around <laughs> becoming a startup entrepreneur and... Uh, and it's become cool. And there, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs emerge that are these lifestyle entrepreneurs. You know, you wear sneakers and hoodies and, and eat pizza and drink beer and hustle and post on Instagram with all these cool hashtags. Um, but in reality, <laughs> if you really want to build a business and you want to be successful, like 90% of the time, it's really tough. Like it sucks. <laughs> yeah, it does. I was going to say, like they should have, oh, they should have, they, sh yeah. <laughs> they, they should have called slush. It really sucks. Like that's what it really should have been called, right? Because there's so much of this aspirational bullshit, if you'll excuse me, that comes out of the startup world, and most of it's just a day-to-day, week-to-week slog. It's just really hard, and until you do it, you don't know. But that that means it'll place like antlers, like a really great filtering mechanism, like we said, like. If you can't put up with that for three months, you definitely can't put up with it for three years. Absolutely. And I think that that's not – people hear entrepreneurs say, yeah, you know, it's tough. But you don't really know what that means because no. they say that when they've gotten to, out on the cover of a magazine. They're like, yeah, I remember it was so tough. And people go, yeah, okay, whatever. I can do it. But then when you're actually in that environment, it's really different. The other thing that I – the other, I suppose, takeaway from, from my side has been really, you know, it's very difficult to start – anything let alone a business by yourself and that's why when there is this emphasis on finding a person or people alongside that can actually start a business with you and if you think about generally you've decided you want to start a business maybe you've quit your job or maybe you know after you graduate you say I want to start a startup but how do you pursue someone else to do the same right it's very difficult to go even if you know people you know friends you know really cool people with great skill set it takes a lot of effort. Whereas here, you have a hundred people that already say, "Yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready." So the only thing you have to define is a good kind of like chemistry fit and obviously skill set um, that you know that is complementary. So it's a it's a much easier, I think, environment to find someone. Uh, it doesn't mean that everybody finds a co-founder, but there's a greater chance that you will find um, someone among the team. Sounds like a really great experience. So what have you and your co-founder decided to build? We are building a platform that helps match brands with podcasts. So essentially to help podcasts to monetize and help brands to find and better target their desired audience. 
So what we've realized when we looked a little bit into the podcasting and whole audio content space, it's really exploding very rapidly. I mean, in terms of the number of people that listen to podcasts and the interest and as a medium, it grows. But what's more interesting is when you think about the listeners of, of podcasts, they're much more engaged than on any other medium. Meaning that if, you know, 20,000 people listen to your podcast, the, the chances are that the, the engagement is much higher than if someone sees a post, a, a Facebook post by an influencer that has 100,000 followers, right? Yeah. Because the engagement is so much higher. And it's, it's, I suppose it's a much more intimate um, uh, medium in a sense. People feel very close to the, the person who's actually hosting the podcast and, and so on. And we've also realized uh, based on some data that we've, that we've seen that, that people are listening to podcasts throughout. They, they hardly ever skip anything. So they really are very um, loyal listeners. Um, but we realized that only 15% of the podcasts are actually able to monetize their podcasts. And there are really big names, you know, in the States um, that don't really have, you know, problems finding the right partners. But there's a very big group of podcasts that have fantastic content that have the listenership um, but are not you know connected with any brands because it's very difficult it requires a lot of time you would have to do a lot of effort yourself reaching out to brands asking if they want to get involved and same for the brands if, if there's a company that wants to reach say 25 to 40 year old women in california who are entrepreneurs how do you know which podcast has that audience so we want to create a platform, a tech-enabled platform that helps match brands with the podcast. Um, in the in in the first phase, basically based on you know certain pretty simple criteria. But going forward, we're really developing a um, a technology that will help identify um, you know things like tone of voice of the podcast, the word cloud, and um, sentiment analysis to really make sure that there's a good match. Because speaking with podcasters, we've realized that it's also a very big deal. It's not just about getting the money from someone running an ad. It's really making sure that there's a good fit. Um, and that's something that we want to uh, we want to help podcasts to, to find. Right. So just the one question I want to ask you is you mentioned this word intimate, right? And I think that that int intimacy that gets created between somebody who's building a podcast and those listeners is actually really important and should not be sort of um, passed over quickly. I think the idea here is I'm curious why you think that there's an intimacy there and what kind of feedback you've gotten as you've been doing your research in this space. I think, I mean, when you think about the podcast as a medium, it's basically audio on demand. Somebody has decided that they want to listen to a particular podcast. I mean, if you compare it to radio, you have the radio on and you do, you go about your life, you drive a car, you do whatever, and it's just there kind of in the background. Sometimes you listen to it, sometimes you don't. But for podcasts, you'd actually have to select a particular podcast, a particular episode before it starts playing, right? So mm. effectively, you choose to listen to that particular person and they're in your ears. I mean, people mainly right now listen to it through the earphones. Obviously, smart home devices and smart car devices are going to change that slightly but still so there's somebody's voice in your head very close to you talking about you know a particular topic really digging into it um and that's what makes it a much more intimate uh experience and that's why i think it's also important that if you are if you are 
adding something to that experience, for example, a partner, a sponsor, a brand, and an advertisement, that it's not done in the same way how we think about traditional advertisements, but it actually um, you know, is a good fit. So it feels like it's a natural you know, fit. It's a natural continuum of, of a podcast. That's, that's the feedback that we've gotten from the podcast that we've spoken to. Yeah, I mean, I want to talk about this intimacy from my perspective, right, as well. And I, I don't disagree with what you said. But just to add to that, you mentioned smart home devices, right? Like, you know, the Google devices or the Alexa devices or even the Apple HomePod, I think it's called. I don't own any of them. But what I do think is that unlike music, I don't think podcasts are going to be listened to together. You just don't think it's going to happen. And I think when it's really this one-on-one -on -one connection between the person that's doing the talking and the person that's listening, I think that creates a real intimacy. And the portability as well, right? In other words, you're going to take it with you on your device. You'll listen to it, I think, in your car, but I think you'll listen to that alone too. Because you can't, like I can listen to you know music and have a conversation with you, but I can't listen to a podcast and have a conversation with you. It's not background. It's foreground stuff. And I think that creates a real intimacy. But I also think you're right on the advertising side. And I think this is where a lot of your podcasters have problems is how do I go out and find a brand that actually meets my audience and me in the middle? That's really hard work. Absolutely. Actually, that was a really good point that it brought up in terms of how people listen to it, that you listen to it by yourself. And I mean, these days, if you think about the, the you know, the kind of the millennials that are probably the biggest group listening to, you know, kind of being on the go all the time, having their headphones in all the time, you go and you exercise, you commute, you fly a lot, that those are all great, uh, you know, environments to listen to podcasts and you are by yourself. Um, so I think that was actually a good, good insight, uh, good insight there. Um, and yeah, finding the brands to, to work with, I think is a, is a, is a, is a key um, to, uh, you know, to, to help also bring a little bit of that, um, yeah, I, I suppose credit to the people that 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 create podcasts. Um, I think there there's a lot there are a lot of um, startups right now in this particular podcasting space. Most of them are based in the states. There's a lot of buzz around that. There's uh, there's some funding that's going into podcasting startups. I mean, Spotify just bought three podcasting startups in 2019, and we're in April. <laughs> so there's definitely a lot of things happening. Um, and this whole monetization of podcasts is one of the angles that a lot of the startups are taking. Um, but based on what we've seen so far, a lot of them are going on the path of becoming so-called the Netflix of, of podcasts. So they want to be a subscription service where you subscribe, you pay money, whatever, $5 a month, and then you can get access to premium content, which is very professionally produced by big name hosts or big brands and so on. And that's an interesting route. Nobody obviously knows whether that's going to be the right way or not. The way I see it is, you know, if you compare it to music or or films, people have always paid for those things. You've always you've bought CDs, right? Like you've paid for iTunes, yep. you've paid for go to the movies and DVDs, so on. So for you to pay for Netflix or to pay for Spotify subscription is not a big deal. I mean, that's what you've always done. It's just made it more convenient and cheaper. But podcasts are essentially a lot of them user generated content. You've never been, you've never paid for them. So why would you start doing that right now? So the way how we see it is we don't want to monetize the listeners. We want to monetize the brands because they essentially get a lot of value add to reach out to their target audience. And obviously they have, you know, they, they have budgets to do that. So we feel like that's a great win win. 
And for the listeners, what this means is once we'll be able to get better statistics because we'll be able to analyze these podcasts better to match them with the brands, it can also help discoverability of podcasts. So listeners would be able to utilize those same statistics to discover um, podcasts better, which I think based then on our conversations with the listeners, that's also one of the issues um, currently. Yeah, I mean, how do you find a great podcast? How do you know? This whole concept of discoverability is actually really difficult across all media, to be fair. And I want to comment on this thing you said about user-generated content, right? So if you just go back and reference the music industry, I mean, all music is just user-generated, right? In other words, you're a band in a garage somewhere. You just figure out how to play together. If the drummer's no good, you kick him out and you get a new drummer. But again, it's really just user-generated stuff. And I think that podcasts or audio content like that, it still needs to be perfected. I don't think anybody can just pick up a microphone connected to their computer and start either talking alone or talking to people. I think it's a skill that can be perfected but takes a lot of time. You know, the Beatles were not an overnight sensation, right? They spent a ton of time in Germany trying to figure out their craft. And I think that any kind of audio content that gets created is the same way. But you're right. You don't want to, you can have a subscription and I think it's going to go two ways. One is partially subscription and partially um, brand supported or ad supported. I think it's going to be a hybrid actually. And I think that's where it's going. Right now, Spotify is, is doing right. Like they say, yeah, we have the, the two ways and, and, and we're going to allow free, you know, listening for free. Um, which is supported by the ads, and then we're going to be doing premium content, which is subscription-based. And yeah, I, I understand uh, what, what you mean in terms of user-generated music. Is also, I suppose, what, what I meant was majority of the music that you listen to on Spotify, they're, you know, majority of the bands, the ones that people listen to, a lot of them are full-time musicians. That's their profession. They're yeah, professional exactly. musicians and artists. And, and that's why people say, yes, in a sense, they've had always this notion of, yes, I, I can pay for that because that's, that's who they are. Um, and for podcasts, a lot of podcasters are actually doing that on the side of something else to support brand awareness or to share insights or things like that. That doesn't mean that it's not professionally produced. And, and I agree with you, right? Like if the content is, if the content or the quality or the way how it's produced is not good enough, nobody's going to listen to it. So it's also very easy to see, are you producing good things or not good things? Because people either listen to you or they don't. Right. Um, so yes, of course, there has to be a certain level of professionalism in that as well. Yeah, and you make a really good point, right? You said some people are doing this on the side. And I will contend that nobody succeeds with the thing they do on the side or something that they do part-time. It's just not possible. Like you couldn't be a part-time computer programmer or you know, while you're also a professional baseball player, it doesn't work. And the reason why is because you cannot get as good at it as the people that are doing it full time. Yeah. So okay, exactly. And, yeah, exactly. And I think that from, from our perspective, what we'd love for our platform to enable is to say, yeah, if I want to go into a little bit more, to be a little bit more professional about how I go about my podcast, I have a way to actually connect with some of the brands that might enable me to do that because right now it's very difficult. So you'd have to take a very big risk um, and, and you'd have to, you know, eventually f figure it out as you go and, and spend a lot of time on that. What we want to say is, hey, here's a platform, connect with some brands that are very much aligned and then see what you can do from there. Grow your podcast, create a platform around it, work with more brands, do more uh, partnerships, whatever it is that you want to do, we want to connect you with the right types of, of brands. 
So during your research, right, what kind of feedback have you received from the brands themselves? In other words, are they aware that this ecosystem is getting built and are they interested? Are they very interested? Like what, what, what kind of feedback are they giving you? In the very, very early stages right now, we, uh, we literally launched the first version of our platform this week. Awesome. Um, so you can actually sign, sign up now this week. So yeah, we've had preliminary conversations with, uh, with the brands and, um, and even with, uh, with, uh, with some agencies, um, that represent brands. And the general sentiment has been very positive and open. Everybody is aware that audio space is actually growing and when you think about your marketing budget some part of that budget should go to audio however the bigger questions are how much and how do you measure that i think measurability has been one of the biggest things that has been brought up because traditionally when you think about online advertising um you know it's 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 been um or or you know advertising in, in a different medium um it's been priced per reach right how many eyeballs you have how many people have seen something or heard something and podcasts are essentially not a reach media they're engagement media they're influencer media they're much more engaging so the roi is is different but it's more difficult to track so those have been some of the questions that we've that we've discussed and we're obviously you know aiming to solve some of those as well in due time um, because I think that if you're actually able to solve questions like attribution or measuring the engagement on audio, then you're really talking about big things, right? Because we, we, right now we can guess and we can say, and there are some indications, um, but once we'll actually be able to develop something that's, that's going to be able to say exactly what the engagement is, that's, that's where it's going to really be a, a big game changer. But generally, a very, very positive response, and and I think brands do recognize that that um, you know audio content is audio is the next video, really. Yeah, I think audio. I think audio is the medium. I mean, I've tried both audio and video, and like you said, there's no intimacy in video. It's just not there, and it's. I can have a direct connection with you with my voice, right? Or with the listeners with my voice. But the video to me just ends up being distracting, particularly if I'm trying to do something with any depth, right? If I want to do vaudeville type stuff, I can have a big impact using some video. But if I really just want to have a conversation with somebody, the audio is the thing, I think. But I'm Powerful biased, and yeah. also, yeah, well, yeah. I mean, I suppose we both are. <laughs> but that's exactly also why we are in this seat, right? Because we're excited. We've seen opportunities in this space. And I think, I mean, for the audio, right, normally when you listen to something, you don't have to be on your phone. Like you can be jogging somewhere. You can be on a flight. You can just sit and listen to it in your phone. It's in your in your pocket. So you don't get distracted. I oftentimes, if I open YouTube, then I have all these messages popping up on my yep. WhatsApp, on my Facebook, everywhere. I get distracted. And then, you know, um, and, and obviously there's also a very big tendency right now of, saying, hey, we want to reduce screen time, right? We want to, I mean, if you go to bed and you want to relax and do something, you know, interesting, people listen, you wouldn't, you wouldn't want to watch a video, right? You don't want to stare at your screen, but you might want to listen to a podcast of 30 minutes before you go to sleep. Right. So I, I think that there's like a lot of really, really good positive uh, kind of side effects in a sense that come from, from, from audio. Yeah, and not to put too fine a point on it, but if you're not falling asleep alone, and you're watching a video, all that light is just noise for somebody else. But if you're listening to a podcast as you fall asleep, that doesn't bother anybody, whether they're in the same room with you or just in the same building with you. It's not bothersome to anybody at all. So many good, so many good 
pros. So everybody should just go and listen to podcasts. <laughs> okay, look, let's do this. I think that's a, I think that's a great way to end. But what I do want to do is catch up with you again in the future and find out as you continue to build out this platform, um, how everything is going. Because you're at the early stages of this, right? Yes, very early stages. And we're obviously also looking to kind of go in and conquer in the world, not just, um, you know, not just Southeast Asia, where I think podcasting is still in the early stages, yeah. uh, but really going out, um, you know, to the United States, um, you know, to Europe. Um, and really conquering the world. So yeah, I'd be really, I'd be very honored to come and and tell, share how it's going, and and kind of take you on on this crazy journey with us. <laughs> awesome, Anna. Thank you so much for your time today. It was a pleasure. <laughs>